following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. In some ways, I feel like we could go home and know that we heard the gospel this morning and praise God for that. I, um, I am so grateful you're here and I'm so excited about this morning as we start into a brand new um, book, uh, story uh, together into Joseph. Um, if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Would you open with me to Genesis 37? Um, there should be, if you don't have one with you, there should be one of these around you. Um, we love to lend you this. I think it's 30, page 31. So I did the, the cheat work for you. 31 in, in our Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to just give you that one. So take it with you. It's our gift to you. You don't even need to tell me about it. Just, just take it with you, and I hope it blesses you. Um, listen, while you're getting to Genesis 37, I want to welcome you to the start of Joseph's story. And uh, I... This text has really made an impact on me. I'm not just saying that. This is one of those texts that has been formative um, in my life. It's one of the texts that I look back on, look back to more often than any, than any other, um, the story of Joseph. And we get the privilege of walking through this together. Um, listen, if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, let me set the stage for us as we get to Genesis 37. Um, God calls a man named Abram, who would later be Abraham, and he gives him this promise. It was incredible. It was mind-blowing and grand. He promises to bless Abraham and give him, make him a great nation and make his offspring like the stars in the sky and... Um, and it's not like our sky, not a city sky. This is a country sky we're talking about here. And he promises to bless him, as numerous as the stars. And um, we are going to, to see that God says, look, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my, my people. And it's this incredible promise. And now following Genesis 12, when God makes this promise, um, <laughs> there's a series of ups and downs. Uh, there's a, it's not like God gives this promise and then boom, oh, everything's great, everything's grand, and there's no more mistakes. No, that's not what we read. Um, by the way, how relatable is that? As, as you think about that, the fact that God comes and he blesses us, gives us a promise, and then we go through ups and downs. That's exactly what was on display here, but God was faithful. So God restates and restates that promise to Abraham, and Abraham, as the Bible says, believed God. He believed that God was going to do what God said he was going to do in all of, in all of his imperfections. He believed God. He believed God. And so Abraham, Sarah, they have Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob is... Uh, that's quite a story as well. Um, and I invite you to go back, look, dive into any of these texts. Actually, um, you can dive into any of our previous messages that we've gone through as we've looked at Jacob. He's an interesting guy. We're going to talk a little bit more about him today. But through it all, church, 
God was faithful. God was, God was faithful. He didn't abandon him. He, he didn't walk out on the promise that he gave to, to them. Um, and this is what gets us to Genesis 37. We're dropping into Jacob. We're dropping into Jacob's family. And uh, as you look at this, you see Jacob with a, a big family, 13 at, at least kids, um, 12 of which we know are boys. So, you know, nothing in their house was, was unbroken. I mean, I'm assuming there's crayons all over everything at this point, but big family, right? Uh, 12 crazy boys, the boys, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, uh, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin, and then their sister that we know of, Dinah. Big, happy, wonderful family. Um, Well, what we're about to read is one of the most painful moments in that family's history. One of the most painful moments. But at the same time, um, this was one of the moments that had incredible significance for this family. And this is a moment that God uses in some really profound, profound way. So having said that, let's settle in and let's get started in, in Genesis 37. Let's dig into Joseph's story. So this is what we read. So Joseph being 17 years old, You see that in verse two. So picture a 17-year-old, 17 years old. He's pasturing the flock, as the text says, with his brothers. And he was a a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And this is a reference here to Dan and Gad and Naphtali and Asher. They're out there working with him. And according to our text, here's what our man Joseph does. The end of verse two, Joseph brings a bad report of them to their father. Uh, in other words, Joseph tattles. <laughs> um, he tattles on his brother. He rats, him, rats on him. I don't know what they did, but there's a bad report. Joseph takes it upon himself to bring that bad report to his dad. And I don't want to be too hard on him. He's 17. Um, 17-year-old. Maybe this bad report was warranted, too. I don't know what they did. Um, but 17-year-old, bring. I was once 17, so I, I have a little bit of grace here as we read about my man Joseph. But, but he runs home. He tells his dad of the bad report. And now we get into verse 3. And um, church, this is where we start to see some critical cracks forming. And I want us to see these, identify these, because let's look at this. Verse three, it says, now Israel, if you remember, that was, Israel was the name given to Jacob. So we're talking about the same person here. So here, Israel, Jacob, this is dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Pause button. That's not good. Um, blatant favoritism. It doesn't promote good health, I'll say it like that. In a family, in an organization, in a business, this kind of blatant favoritism doesn't really promote good health. In fact, it often leads to some cracks 
And here in our text, that's exactly what it does, because listen to this. Now, Israel loved uh, Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was a son of his old age. So he had this unique love for Joseph as the baby, right? The baby, Joseph. Um, And our text says he made him a robe of, of many colors. So here's what I want us to see with this, not just the robe, but this was not subtle favoritism. This was a colorful robe of favoritism. This was um, out there, wide open, where the world can see my favorite son, where, more importantly, the not favorite sons can see the favorite son. So verse four, when his brothers, what, saw, (laughs) not subtle, when they saw that their father loved him, More than all his brothers, they hated him. And they couldn't speak peacefully to him. So when they saw it, when they observed the fact that, Dad, you love him more than us, again, not subtle, it leads them to jealousy, it leads to strife, it leads to division, and we have cracks forming in the foundation of this family. Um, Not only, though, let's really get the, the... the weight of what this text says, because it's not only strife and jealousy and all those things, but church, this led to hate. They hated Joseph. There was so much division here in this family. It says they weren't even able to speak to each other peacefully. In other words, they could yell at each other, but they could not have a civilized conversation together. They could not communicate with each other in peace. And although the hate, I want us to see this, was directed at Joseph, this part really wasn't Joseph's fault. Now, as we'll see, he didn't help. Um, I'll give you that. But it's really not his fault. His, His father, Jacob, was showing him, was demonstrating his favoritism so openly. And cracks were forming, and critical cracks were forming. But this wasn't the only crack. Let's read how it continues to to crack in this foundation. Verse five, now Joseph had a dream. As I said, Joseph doesn't help. Um, When he told told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, That's not good because this foundation already had cracks and now cracks are worse. They hated their brother already and then their brother goes on and does something like this to make it a little worse. But maybe it wasn't all that bad. Let's look at what Joseph dreamed and what Joseph told his brothers that he dreamed. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, all good so far, and behold, my sheaf, It arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves, they gathered around it and they bowed down to mine. Um, Subtle. Verse eight, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, little brother? My translation. Or um, are, are you indeed to rule over us? I mean, tell me you're not saying this, Joseph. So the text says they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. It's like a pot of, of water that's getting to that boiling point. Just any more heat that gets put on, it's just 
are bubbling over. That's this hate is growing and growing, and it gets worse. Verse 9, he dreams another dream. And he told it to his brothers again and said, Behold, I have dreamed another. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Uh, You can see, like, just picture the family gathered around Joseph here, mom and dad looking at each other. The 11 brothers looking at each other, thinking, oh no, Joseph, you are not talking about us here. So now in verse 10, dad responds. A little bit of a rebuke here from from dad. But when he told this to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? What on earth are you talking about? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Again, hate is being kindled. Cracks are forming with each dream, with each coat. Cracks are forming. Writing is on the wall that things that are going to happen are not going, this is not going to lead us in a good direction. But before we move forward here, I I, want to just to see just a couple things. First, as we consider the way this story begins, I want us to think for a minute um, about wisdom. But what is wise and what is foolish? Here's what I mean. Um, Is it sinful to give one of your children a colorful jacket? No. You're not going to find it in the law. You're not going to find a thou shalt not here for this. Um, There's nothing sinful about telling your family of a vivid dream that you had, especially if you believe it to be from the Lord. We'll get to that. A dream from God. There's nothing sinful about telling your dad and your brothers. There's nothing sinful about these things. But church, I have to ask, what, what about wisdom? In other words, let's think about Jacob here. Jacob's the easy one here. Was it wise for a father who has already made his affection quite known for one of his sons uh, to go above and beyond, um, to make sure, to go to great lengths that those other brothers know (laughs) about his favorite one? Was it wise for a father to give his son in these circumstances a colorful coat? Is it wise to say, you know what? I mean, just think about this. I have this new coat. I want to give it to someone. Not you, Reuben. Not you, Simeon. Levi, no, Judah, Dan, Naphtali. Definitely not you, Gad, Asher, Issachar. No, Zebulun. Not even a little bit. Joseph. Joseph. Not even to my little girl, Dinah. I mean, she would have loved a coat, right? Not her. No, 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 no. This beautiful and magnificent jacket should be worn by Joseph as a forever reminder to his brothers that he is better than them. Was it sinful? No, not, not really. Was it wise? No, not really. You have to wonder as you read this story if, jo- if Jacob was aware of the dynamics of his own family. You have to ask, like, was Jacob 
aware of the feelings of his family, should he have been? Church, this is foolishness. This, this foolishness led, did not help. It caused hate and sin. Was it wise? No. As we think about Joseph, I want to be a little, a little softer on, on Joseph because, you know, was it wise for him to share dreams like this? It might have been, church. He had these dreams from God. And by the way, as we're about to see over the next couple of weeks, they come true. Was it wise? Maybe. Was, 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 um, was it sinful for Joseph? No, it wasn't sinful. But you have to wonder if Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph, again, give him grace, was aware of the feelings, of the dynamics, of the brokenness that was forming in his family. Was he aware? Did he perceive these things? As Joseph's story's story opens, it opens with us just being able to see a lack of wisdom on display here, especially from Jacob, and a family that was being divided over things that just weren't wise. The actions that Jacob took, and to a much lesser extent, the actions that 17-year-old Joseph took, did not help. (laughs) Not at all. Several years ago, there was a movement in the business world that kind of got started from a book um, by Dan Goleman, a book in the mid-90s called Emotional Intelligence. It's still popular today, uh, Emotional Intelligence. Have you heard of EQ, anyone? Okay, a few of you. So it's kind of like IQ. You know, you have IQ, it tells you how smart you are. You have tests for that, it can tell you how, how smart or not smart. It's your intelligence quotient, IQ, right? Well, EQ is a little bit different. EQ is emotional intelligence. And as studies show, it's, we're finding even more important than your IQ in a lot of situations. Emotional intelligence or EQ, this is how it's defined, the capacity to be aware of, to control, to express one's emotions, and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. In other words, EQ is, an, is the ability for us to be aware of each other, how we're feeling, to be perceptive. And if there were ever a story in Scripture, I know Dan Goleman hadn't written his book on emotional intelligence um, yet, but if there were ever a story in Scripture that kind of demonstrates a really low EQ, Genesis 37. It's a good point case example. You, you have to see. Do they see, do they have an awareness? Do they have empathy here? Especially from Jacob. No. Is low EQ a sin? No, again, it's not. Um, but it does create tension and strife and it can hurt relationships. And again, it's just foolish. And before we go forward though, um, we gotta be careful because I've heard this when we talk about Joseph. I've heard this before. Um, that although Jacob seems foolish here and Joseph doesn't help at all, although they weren't exactly the most emotionally aware people here, um, the actions that follow, the actions that we're about to look, the sin that we're about to look at, um, the sins of the brothers cannot and should not be placed on Joseph or on Jacob. Here's why I'm, I'm saying this. I've heard this a lot. Um, that, well, Joseph got what was coming to him. I mean, look at him. What a, I would have popped him. I've heard this when you're, when you're reading this story. 
Um, it's Joseph, it's really his fault. This is on him. Look what he was saying. Church, let's not go too far with this because the sins of the brothers were the sins of the brothers. And as we see, scripture does not place the sin of the brothers on Joseph, it places it right on the brothers. And this is really important. And, and some of you are saying, well, why aren't you moving on from this? We get it. But listen, like Joseph, I think that often we can be far too quick to deflect our own sin, the conviction of our own sin and wrongdoings and choices onto others and to say something to the equivalent of, well, they had it coming to them. They deserved that. They were foolish. Any of you who are parents of three young boys like I am, um, I hear this a lot. Like, well, you punched him. I punched him because he said that. He deserved it. Right? It's the same concept. It's kind of built into us. It's only natural that I did what I did when I saw what they did. Right? Um, we need to be honest with ourselves, church, about ourselves and our sin because the foolishness of others does not excuse our own sin. The foolishness of others does not excuse our own sin. And I, wanna, I want to challenge you to, to do some soul work here and to, to think about the ways that maybe you have justified yourself. The way I know this, I think this is incredibly convicting. The foolishness of others does not excuse our own sin. It never has and it never will. And on the other side, the other hand, some of you might be here and relate well to Joseph and Jacob. Here's what I mean. Um, as you look back on your actions, look back on your life. Uh, you may, be, you may look back and, and not help but think, I was a fool. You might look back on a relationship, uh, maybe even in your marriage, working relationship, whatever it may be, and just think, I was such a fool. I was so foolish, and my foolishness made a mess. My foolishness made a mess. And like Jacob here, your foolishness just made a mess of things. Now, it's not that you set out to blatantly sin against anyone. But you just didn't see it in the moment. You just, you weren't helping. You were unaware, aloof, foolish. Have you been there and can you relate? I know I can I, I know that I can, but church, our God is gracious and patient. He forgives the sinner and he is patient with the foolish. That includes you. Scripture says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Praise God for that. Great is your faithfulness. Joseph's story should be an encouragement that God uses foolish and crazy people all the time. It's kind of his thing. Because in it, he gets all the glory. In our text, we see him. God doesn't just throw his hands up and say, oh, I quit these people. He doesn't do that. He is faithful. He has a plan. And in a profound way, I want you to realize this, that God was growing and teaching Joseph through this. And more than that, I want you to really take this in. Through this craziness that's about to happen, God was placing Joseph exactly where he needed to be. 
Let that be an encouragement to us. There is grace for the sinner in Jesus, and there is grace and patience for the foolish in Jesus. This is good news. In, in fact, there is only one who is truly wise, and that is our God who does not leave us or abandon us. And as we turn to, to verse 12, now we get to see how truly messy this becomes. How, how this tragic story, how tragic it really, it really is as the foolishness of Jacob and Joseph not helping as this scene unfolds. And it's now followed up by the sin of the brothers. Verse 12, now his brothers went to pasture their, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, um, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to, to him, here I, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. And so he went with them to the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. So Joseph is sent out. He is looking around, trying to find his brothers, right? He's struggling to find them. Then in verse 15, and a man found him wandering in the fields and asked, who are you looking for? What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, Joseph said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, that way. Uh, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them. Here we go. Verse 18, they see him from afar. And before he even came near church, before he even got there, before he even said something else that might not have been helping, they conspired against him to kill him. They made up their minds. They already decided exactly what they wanted to do. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say, here's our story, that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Can you just feel the bitterness here? Can you feel the brokenness? We're just gonna see how those dreams turn out. We're supposed to be bowing down to you. Let's see if that actually happens. With him dead in a pit, let's see how that comes to play. There's so much hatred here, and if we're not careful and alert, church, um, this is exactly what jealousy and bitterness will do. This is the fruit. It starts with a small feeling, but as it is fed and as it grows, it becomes deadly and destructive. And here in our text, it has grown. And it has become this. I mean, in verse 21, Reuben hears it and, and he rescues Joseph out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to, him, said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So, so here's what's going on here. Reuben says, look guys, the little dude's annoying, but we can't do this. We, we can't do this. I can't kill him. We can't shed his blood. So he recommends this kind of passive approach where, where I guess the best way to think about this is he says, look, I need to buy some time. Go ahead and put him down in that hole. 
let me take a walk. Let's figure out what to do here. He, He buys himself some time so he can figure out a way to deliver him, as the text says. But, verse 23, um, By the way, it looks like his brothers listened to him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, the coat of his father, the dreamer, the coat-wearing dreamer. They take it off, verse 24, and they put him, they took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water. That hurts. And they sat down to eat. Now, as you look at this, this is gross. This is evil and sinful. I mean, try to put yourself in this scene where you have a 17-year-old boy who is feeling betrayed and broken, this terrified teenager, screaming from the top of his lungs, from the bottom of a pit that his brothers just threw him in, while his brothers sit up there and enjoy some dinner together. And it was in this moment that the brothers' plans come together. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, that's the fourth-born brother, big brother, Judah says to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? That's a weird question. Anyone ever, what kind of question is that? Anyway, um, he says, there's no profit in this. Instead, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. So he comes up with this win, win, win scenario here. Win number one is we get rid of that annoying little brother. Win number two is that we don't have to actually physically harm him. Win number three is that we make a little profit along the way. Win, win, win. Ugh. And his brothers listened to him. They liked what they heard. The Midianite traders passed by. They picked Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. I want you to imagine with me for a moment, Joseph, in this moment. Regardless of how foolish you have been, regardless of how much of a 17-year-old you have truly acted like, this is unimaginable. This is ultimate betrayal and brokenness. And church, again, this is where unchecked and unbridled bitterness and jealousy leads. This is the fruit of that tree. It leads us to do things that we never thought we would ever do in a million years. It leads us to act out, and it leads to more and to more and to more brokenness. Although it might feel good to give in to those feelings when you're brooding, have you ever brooded? The car on a long ride is a good brooding place where you just brood, you just think bad thoughts about that person, right, as you brood. It might feel good to give in to those feelings for a moment, but church, that's poison. It's poison and this is the fruit of it. You and I are not above this. Um, This is where your bitterness, where the jealousy in your life will take you. This is the fruit of that tree. In verse 29, it's clear that Reuben's plan failed. Because when Reuben gets back, he sees Joseph's not in there. 
He tears his clothes, as 29 and 30 says, and he says, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent that robe, sent that coat, brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether or not this is your son's, right? And he identifies it and said, yep, that's it. That's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All of the sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but that wasn't going to work. He refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol. I'm going to die. <laughs> this, is, this, is the, this, is, this is brokenness here. Thus, the, his father wept for him. I asked you if you could imagine Joseph in this moment, but can you imagine Jacob? Regardless of how foolish you have been, the pain and the brokenness and the loss See, our story begins, and just in all honesty, in, in tragedy. Joseph's story begins in tragedy. But as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, it does not end there. From the tragedy, there will come triumph. From the brokenness, there will come restoration. From the pain, there will come healing and provision. This is Joseph's origin story, though, and we're going to revisit chapter 37 all throughout our time in Joseph as we navigate through the next chapters because um, I got to highlight something for you. The end of this chapter, meanwhile, I love this word. If you look with me at verse 36, it says, meanwhile, so tragedy and disaster, brokenness, weeping, Meanwhile, he was sold in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. Meanwhile, church, a plan was unfolding. A sovereign, perfect, wonderful plan that would change everything. Meanwhile, God was working despite the evil. Meanwhile, God was working to get Joseph exactly where he needed Joseph to be. As we finish the first portion of Joseph's story here, this tragedy, his origin story, we have to zoom in on the word meanwhile. Because here's the truth. We rarely in our moments like Joseph see the meanwhile. We rarely see it. We rarely even know that there is one. We don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And even though we can't see it, even though you can't see it in the moment, there is a meanwhile. There is a meanwhile that you can't see because our God has, he has a plan. And it is good and you can trust him. It was true for Joseph in church, I can say with complete confidence as I look you in the eye, that it is true for you, regardless of what you're facing today. Our God is a God of meanwhiles. 
Now, like Joseph, this does not mean that it's going to be easy. This was tragedy. This was painful. This was terrible. But through it all, God worked it all together. God has a plan, and his plan is good. Through it all, there is a meanwhile that he did not see. On a bigger level, I want to I share something just in closing. Um, I started by saying that the story of Joseph was one of the most formative books not books, it's not a book, story in the book of Genesis, um, that Joseph's story has impacted me more than, more than most texts. And, and I mean that. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to share why. Um, God has used Joseph's story in my life to help me see the gospel in a way that I didn't see before. What I mean by this is that Joseph, I believe Joseph is a shadow or a type of Christ. He's a foretaste of what is to come. I want you to, we're gonna be, by the way, as we go through Joseph's story, we're gonna be revisiting this a lot, okay? But, but Joseph's life, his story, it has marked me because it has helped me to better understand the gospel, to see it more clearly. So I want, I want you to think about something with me as we close. I want you to think about the similarities already that we have seen in the Joseph narrative in chapter 37 of Genesis and Jesus Christ in the gospels. I want you to think about this with me. Like Joseph, Jesus is the object of, of his father's special love. Like Joseph, Jesus will be mocked by his own family. Jesus will be mocked by the people of God. The scripture says despised and rejected. That is Jesus. As you look at Joseph and you, you feel that pain of betrayal, this was Jesus. Like Joseph, Jesus would be sold for pieces of silver. More than that, he would be betrayed, given over by his closest, someone in his inner circle, one of the 11. Betrayed openly for lousy silver coins. Like Joseph, Jesus would be stripped of his robe. Like Joseph, Jesus would be delivered up to the Gentiles. Like Joseph, church, Jesus' darkest moment, I want you to hear me, would set into motion the very salvation of his people. Church, the gospel is going to be on full and wonderful display as we walk through Joseph's story. Over the next couple of weeks at Sonic Bible Church, in the, we are going to see and confront the gospel. And I pray, I pray and I hope that we are able to see it more clearly, that our affection for Jesus grows and grows as we walk through Joseph's story. Eric Raymond, I wanted to share this with you. Um, he says it like this, and I love this. Um, when we collect the details of Joseph's life, we see a glorious reflection that closely mirrors another life we are so f intimately familiar with. This is not because Joseph was Jesus' favorite Bible hero he wanted to emulate. Listen to this, church. Listen to this. 
it is because God is sovereign and he has been laying the tracks for the glory of Christ throughout all redemptive history. That is good. (laughs) That is good. My prayer is that we see the tracks of the glory of Christ all throughout this story each and every week. My goal is that in our time, not as we walk through Joseph's story, not only do we see Joseph's story, but that in a very real sense, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ through this story. Let us not miss the way that our God has sovereignly laid out the tracks for us to see Jesus. We have an incredible story ahead. I encourage you to read ahead. Um, We are gonna be walking through this and what a joy and a privilege we get to do this. So with that being said, as we pray, I'd love to close us. Would you pray with me? God, we have journeyed through the opening scene of the life of Joseph and we've already begun to see the tracks that you have sovereignly sovereignly laid out for us to see. We are reminded, Lord, that, that in our moments of struggle and trial and confusion and whatever we might face, we are aware this morning that so often we do not see the meanwhile. But we are also reminded that your faithfulness is great. Lord, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new each and every morning. We stand this morning as your people, grateful that we can trust you. I pray that as we, as we continue in our worship, that for those in, who look back and, and wear the, the shame of acting like a fool in a relationship, that you show grace. You show them grace. You lift up their soul. I pray that for, for anyone here that is, is, is struggling like that, that you would show yourself. And more than, than anything else, Lord, this morning, I pray that for all of us, no matter who we are, where we are in our, in our life, where we are in our story, our faith journey that you would show us the gospel this morning of Jesus Christ that we who were dead in our sins are made alive now through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf who was betrayed who was rejected who took our sin who died our death and who gave us victory through his resurrection Lord, open our eyes to that. We want to respond to that now in Jesus' name. Amen.